This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. This is Amanda, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. As some of you may know, Lisa and Ellie are taking some time off from the show, so tonight I'm very pleased to introduce my new co-host, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Amanda. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, we're so happy to have you. So I guess we're going to start the show with, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so everyone can get to know you. Sure. Thank you. I'm, I'm really honored to be a part of the Bubble Hour. I'm a big fan, and I just feel that this is amazing service. So I'm glad to be here. My sobriety date is April 5th, 2012. So I have just over a year and a half, which given that we're heading into the holiday season, this is my second holiday season that I'm going through. I am 38 years old. I'm a newlywed. And the way I got sober was, I I always start by saying it was really a complete surrender. I subscribe to the theory that we only suffer when we fight reality. And that was very true for me. I felt like the last two years of my drinking, I was trying to stand up on a sheet of ice and it just wasn't predictable. I, I, I really couldn't manage it. One glass of wine and I could be gone or 10 glasses and I might not feel it at all. And so it was really frightening. And it was, I was really holding on to a, a picture of myself and, and trying to control all my emotions and, and control my reality 
when, in fact, I was just fighting all of that. So that surrender and that alignment with honesty has been a big part of my getting sober, as is the daily reliance on other sober alcoholics. So since this is a program about the holidays, I thought I would share that my very first holiday came a few days after getting sober, which was Easter Sunday. And normally, hello? Yeah. So normally I would have felt I have to go to the family event and I have to keep everything together. I, I would have felt that pressure to not let anybody down or not look imperfect or not raise any eyebrows if anybody said that's quite rude. So even if I was in crisis, I would have felt angry and despairing, and I just would have hidden it and forced myself to do it. But but this time back in 2012, I just said, I, I can't do that. And that aligning with honesty has been a really important part of my recovery that I am empowered to say no, which is a complete sentence. I think that's really important as we go into the holiday season. So what inspired this show was that the holidays certainly can be fun and happy and lots of celebrating and great food. But I heard somebody today actually say that what he was anxious about with the holidays is that it's a real roller coaster. He said, for Thanksgiving, I have these family parties, but then I end up back home in my apartment alone, and then I'm lonely. So I go from these highs to these lows. And you know, I think we're all familiar with that, running around, lots of pressure. And as we try to figure out how to handle the festive season in as fun a way as possible, I think tonight we, just, we want to talk about some of the anxieties that can come with the holidays, the triggers to watch out for, and so just really how to avoid minefields and old habits, how to diffuse tension and stay calm and just really enjoy ourselves, which which is possible. I think a sober holiday is a happy one. So I'm certainly delighted to, to introduce also Danielle, Amy, and Holly, who are joining us tonight. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. So they're, they're going to be sharing some of their thoughts on this topic. But I think, Amanda, you, you have some, some tactics that you've found as resources that provide some context for the discussion. Yes, I have. This is just something that I've been handed every holiday season. You see this getting passed out around meetings and just some, it's 12 tips to stay sober. And I'm, I won't necessarily read them all right now, but I can run through the list really quickly. But just some of the top 10 tips are to attend meetings, be with other people in recovery, talk about how you're feeling. There's usually a lot of sober events around the holidays just for that very purpose especially in early recovery. I know I attended, like they have a 24-hour meeting going, and I attended that my very first Christmas, and having phone lists because we will be going to places maybe or or not, like Catherine, like you didn't. I didn't go to my first Thanksgiving, so I can totally relate to that. But in the event that you need to go somewhere or just even running around doing errands, you might just have a crisis. It's good to have phone numbers handy to call. And that's always the case. That's not just in the holidays. Another thing is to avoid HALT, which is stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And avoiding all of those things should be a top priority around the holidays because those those are just a guide in general, again, but they should especially be paid attention to in the holidays. And I think number four is probably my 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 favorite, which is to remove expectations. 
And they say that your serenity is in direct proportion to your expectations, and I completely believe in that 100%. And so, you know, that. taking it... Yeah, I do too. It's like my the, one of my favorite things that I've learned in recovery is that if I have these ridiculous expectations, I'm, it's pretty much given that I'm going to be let down. Or what, what else do they say? Expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. And so, take it, take each situation for what it is, and simply enjoy the season. Which I think you can end up if you're. The nice, the beauty of recovery is you can actually take time to stop and enjoy the holiday if you keep it simple, where I think for our whole drinking careers, we forget that. And I remember the holidays back when I was a kid and you made presents for each other. My my mom came from a big family. It's If you can get back to that state of mind, just keeping it simple and not expecting these, just not having huge expectations, I think it can be a lot more fun and you could actually learn to enjoy the holidays for what they're supposed to be, not what the commercials tell you they're supposed to be. Remove a lot of the, the pressure from ourselves, Amanda. We can... If- if, if you don't want to send out Christmas cards, then you actually don't have to. If you don't want to go to a party, you don't have to. It's it's really amazing. I know, and and I think until we, and that should be the case for everyone. But I think there's been all these pressures our whole, our whole lives to do this, and we just it's automatic that we do it. And, uh, yeah, you don't have to, and you have a nice excuse, at least to yourself, that you're protecting yourself, and it's a damn good reason because Mm -hmm. you do need to protect your sobriety around the holidays and when it really does need to come first. So another just, I'll just read a couple other suggestions, attend sober events, and around the holiday seasons there usually are things going on, which is, again, similar to the meetings. A new tradition and host a, your, a, a sober holiday party and have to be, and maybe you have it in the afternoon. The people that do drink don't feel deprived, but you can have your own little party and celebrate the season in a different way. Volunteering, I've heard of a lot of people <clears throat> Going and volunteering at soup kitchens or doing, like, collecting food for families that need food for the holidays, helping out with something like that, something that makes you feel good inside, that that you're giving back to the community. A daily gratitude list is a good, actually, again, a good tool at any time, but especially in the holidays. And staying away from slippery places, and that's exactly what Catherine did, which is, that's really a good job. And what's funny to me is you hear people a lot, they say, I have to go to that, it's Christmas. I hate to tell you, but Christmas will be here again next year. And missing one and preserving your sobriety could be the best thing that you ever, the best gift you could ever give anyone. And plan ahead, have a plan, and have a plan B. And most importantly, live one day at a time and enjoy your sobriety for what it is because it is something to be celebrated. So that's the quick list that I have here, and I actually have another one with 25, but no one wants to hear me read all night. I will. I think I can post this up on our website somehow. I'll have to figure that out, but I will get this up on the Bubble Hour website. And um, in the meantime, I will turn it over to Danielle to share about her thoughts on the holidays. Excellent. Thank you, Amanda and Catherine, for having me. So I am a person in long-term recovery, uh, which for me means that I haven't had to have a drink for six months. My sober date is 
May 22nd of this year, 2013. I struggled for years with the whole, am I an alcoholic? Am I not an alcoholic? Especially because I was so high functioning. I know like a lot of people, I made a lot of money. I was a sales director. I usually drank at bars. I felt like only towards the end did I find a, a quicker decline, I and mean, a lot of the things that, that people said would happen were starting to happen. And finally, I got to a point where wanting more for myself and my life was enough. It didn't matter what boxes I had to check to say if I was an alcoholic or not. I was just ready to get honest with myself and, and really commit to this. I felt like there was another way uh, and just got sick of the battle. So I live in the Boston area. I'm 33. I've been married for six years. I did want to get some sobriety under my belt before having kids, so we currently reside with our 90-pound Cujo Golden Retriever, Nico, <laughs> and I'm also the, the proud cool auntie of three nieces and a nephew. This will be my first Thanksgiving in sobriety. So there's been years, I can remember one year I woke up at 7 in the morning. I didn't drink on Wednesday and woke up at 7 and drove to a recovery meeting and didn't drink that day. And I'd have holidays like that. But, again, I, I know in my heart I wasn't really committed. I had to get to the point where I finally wanted to be sober more than I wanted to drink. And at that point, that's when I consider myself sober. So... As far as, as my plan, I really heard the whole from a lot of people change the person you brought in here, and I heard that loud and clear. And for me, a huge part of that was learning to draw boundaries in several areas of my life. So finally being able to say, no, I won't be there or just not sure how long I'll stay without feeling bad or guilty because this was not something I could do, and both of you touched on that as well. I've also let most people in my life know I'm not, I wasn't, kind of I know Amanda says this, I was not quiet or private before, and I'm not really now. And <laughs> so most people know that I've chosen not to drink, and that helps me to avoid compromising situations as well. I think people, I don't get offered a drink, and it just it's one more kind of step. So one thing that was very interesting for me, I was lucky enough to go to a 30-day um, program, and this really, you know, planted a, a great foundation for me. And something I learned is that they tell you to try your best. To know what, not everyone can do this perfectly, but to not be around a drink for the first year. And the reason being, which was really helpful to me, is that when you see somebody drinking, it can sometimes trigger the same things in your brain as if you were drinking yourself. So you can think you did great and four or five days later, you might just pick up a drink and not think about it. So this always happened to me in the past. I had wanted to quit for the last three years. And I'd say, what is going on? But I realized I was still around the alcohol, even though I wasn't drinking it. And I didn't know I was sabotaging myself. So to be successful, say this Thanksgiving, I already told my in-laws I won't be there. I told my sister that I'd probably be at her house, but I've set the expectation that I don't know how long I'll stay. And again, it just no one's counting on me. I did already erase those expectations. Christmas Eve, we typically have about 40 people come to our house, and it's been a tradition in, in my husband's family for years and years, and we moved into a family house, and we never broke the tradition. But And again, something that everyone touched on, I've already let everyone know that we're not going to hold it this year.
Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles. Little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. When I was fighting and not ready to quit, I had so many excuses, like I have to do this or I have to do that, a lot like Amanda and Catherine were saying. And this caused so much of my suffering. I I finally have been able to take control back in my life and be like, I can do this or I don't have to do this. And this has been like an awakening. Like it just clicked. No, I don't have to do that. And I, what I've learned through some coaching is that when I say I, I can't or no, I have to do this, it's because I really hadn't committed to the task at hand. So I catch myself now with this. So the way I look at it is whatever I have to do for peace of mind, I have to do first because I know that in the end, everyone else will eventually benefit from it giving myself permission to leave when I want to, having alternative game plans. This is stuff that I don't feel bad about anymore. It's actually been very empowering for me to, instead of being the person that said no and felt, oh my God, is everyone going to hate me? It's no. And I feel like it's an act of loving myself. I'm sure I'm going to want to drink on Christmas. We go to my parents and everybody else drinks, but I do feel like I can arm up So the ways that I'll do that is recovery meetings, step work. I do have a network of awesome sober women to reach out to. So another area where I completely changed my life from the, I've done the opposite of what I would have done in the past in so many ways. And in the past, I never would have asked for help for anything. People came to me and now calling women that I trust has really become a lifeline of this program. Another tool that this might sound a little bit uh, crazy to people, but that I learned at the 30-day program was they told you to pick someone or some something that you love so much, and I picked my nieces and nephews, and they said, write them a letter as if you've relapsed. And this was, for me, at my program, like such a kind of aha moment because it cleared up for me like a lot of the reasons that I was doing this. I want to be a good example of strength for them and and love and, and not having to live a life of fear and not being able to take control of my own life. And it really strengthened my resolve to do this. And it just touched to the core of of being honest with myself. And then the other thing is write a list of awesome things about not drinking during the holidays. Like, I still have all four of my grandparents. Both sets have been married 70-plus years. I am so grateful. And I just sat with them the other day, and I was like, I can enjoy you on Christmas this year. I thought to myself, like, and I can remember everything. Amanda mentioned halt, and unfortunately for me, like, I'm never hungry around the holidays, sadly. (laughs) But I, 
I can be more mindful now with the way I eat. In the beginning, food was definitely a crutch for me, and I'd rather pick that up than a drink. But I'm starting to see as as a little bit more time goes by, probably for me around like the five-month mark, I'm starting to be um, able to be more mindful about this. I've noticed that when I want to drink, my head isn't in the right place. So I've been at functions that I've not thought about it once or been at functions miserable and hating my life. And a big thing for me, too, here is that this has been hard, but it's the opposite, is realizing that I do not have to be a social queen. I think that (laughs) I thought that I have to be, like, the life of the party and outgoing. And you know what? I'm starting to realize, like, I can be social, but sometimes I don't want to be that social. And there's a lot of small talk things that I don't even like participating in. So for me, it's just being okay with that. I feel like that's fake sometimes. I drink and just stay up later and stay at the party and not miss anything. And for me, it's just telling myself it's okay to just follow what I feel like at at that moment. And then and probably my last thing that I would say is, and this people said all the time, and I will tell you that someone even said, when you get this whole data time thing in 24 hours, it'll help. And only after I had a few months sober where kind of the manic craziness at least subsided a little bit, I was able to really wake up in the day and say, God, keep me away from a drink today and just today. And I've had days where I'm like, oh, I'd love a drink right now. And it's, no, it's okay. I'm just not tonight. We can think about this tomorrow. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never woken up and been like, oh, I wish I got drunk last night. Never. I've never woken up and said, I really wish I drank last night. I wake up now and it's like, yes, it's the best feeling ever. So if nothing else, it's that 24 hours. If I had probably one of the worst days in my sobriety on Friday, and thank God, like Amanda and other people, I ended up in a meeting and with people, but it was just that idea of sleep on it. If you still want to drink tomorrow, then explore it then. And like I said, I wake up and I'm so grateful for the new life that that I have. And like I said, I'm 33. I feel like I can take control of my life again and not getting ahead of myself and really just going a day at a time. Mindfulness, and, and that's probably the last thing I have is journaling, trying to meditate. I know people are probably like, what, how, how do you have the time? Or, but I, and that's another thing is making the time for my stuff first. And I have learned that everybody else around me absolutely benefits because of it. So I think I hopped around a little bit, but I hope that helped you guys, and I hope I I gave some ideas of where I'll be coming from for uh, this holiday season. Wow, that was awesome, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) That is great advice. Awesome. Amy, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and then talk about how you plan for the holidays? Okay. Sure. Uh, Like Danielle, this is my first sober holiday. My sobriety date is June 24th of 2013, which will be cool. I'll have six months on Christmas Eve. So that's a good, I don't know, a motivator for really uh, steering clear. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Bad situations. I relate to so much of what you both, what you've all said about just uh, taking care of myself and um, putting my myself first. And I think, um, Catherine, when I got sober, it was like full surrender. 
it was like I had been numbing and finding ways to hide from my feelings for 20 years or more, if I really look back at it. And it was like all of these curtains of denial just fell down, like all these just layers, all these things that I'd built up for years and years about why I drank and how I drank and, and how I justified it being a normal thing and how I justified drinking a half a box of wine a night, <laughs> you know, and especially around the holidays. I would, my internal voice, well, you, of course, you're going to drink around the holidays. Your mom's dead and so on and so forth. And I have all, all these sort of tragic family things that have happened. And I told myself for years and years that this is how you get through. This is the only way to do it. This is the only way to do it. And so a lot of the last five months has been about rewriting that tape and trying to figure out ways to take better care of myself and to to silence that that voice that was always more than willing to say numbing is good, this is the, the path, this is what you need to do in order to deal with the pain. And I, as far as holidays go, um, I'm lucky in a sense because I have a very supportive family. My husband is also in recovery, and his mom and dad are staying with us for four weeks. <laughs> they've been here since, well, it's three weeks. They're leaving on Friday. But they've been here oh. since, yeah. No, they've been here since <laughs> September. That would be ridiculous. They've been here since November 6th or 7th. And they're lovely people, but it's difficult to live with folks in your own house. And so I've, I've had, I don't know, like a trial run for the holidays pretty much every night. <laughs> so my survival, it's actually taught me a lot about myself. And because when they would come before, my go-to response was to just absolutely throw myself wholeheartedly into alcohol, like just drown in booze. That was my survival strategy for when my in-laws were here. And they would drink as well, though certainly not at the same speed level that I was drinking at. But what I've learned, and so I was really worried about them coming. I was like, oh, God, how am I going to do this without alcohol? And one of the the biggest gifts that one of the nicest things that has ever done for me is my mother-in-law, who loves her wine, and who's not an alcoholic, she's a normie, one of those people who, she has two glasses of wine every night, and that's all. And I'm like, really? That's it? Are you serious? And she gets, she'll make them last for two and a half hours. I'm like, what? Do you, what's going on? This is, I don't understand this at all. But she offered to, what the entire, entire time that they're here, they're not drinking, and they're not bringing any alcohol into the house, and when we go out, they don't drink. And it's, that's so nice. Like, who, who does that's that? Very nice. <laughs> really? So I've been very lucky. It's still hard. <laughs> it's still difficult because I'm sort of just dealing with a lot of emotions and not really, it's that thing. After not feeling anything for 20 years, it's hard to, to feel things all of a sudden. And But I found over the past couple of weeks, I was really stressed out for the first week, really stressed out. And I think I posted that ad nauseum on the BSB. I was just completely stressed out, didn't know what to do. And I, I don't know how I figured this out, but I, I just started to try to be nicer. Just to be, <laughs> I don't think I was a total, I almost did it, but I'm trying to use my teacher language here. So I was being horrible. I don't think I was being a total jerk, but 
I don't think that I was engaging with them on any sort of meaningful level. And as soon as I started doing that and started handing over the olive branch and being kind, it got easier. And I know that's, uh, for me, that's really hard to like sort of, to, to, it's a, it's a vulnerability thing. It's easier to just be tough and to be quiet and to just white knuckle your way through everything. That's my go-to coping mechanism for life. And as soon as I was like, hey, let's do this together, let's sit down and talk about this, or I would offer to do something for them, and it just, it, it made it so much more manageable. And so that's how I've been getting through having family in my house for an extended period of time. And again, I've been extraordinarily lucky and blessed in that they are so supportive of our sobriety and they're willing to acknowledge it and acknowledge that it's really hard <laughs> and 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 so that's been really cool. Tomorrow my dad gets here and my dad's a recovering alcoholic as well. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's been in recovery for gosh, I think fifteen years now. And but he's also He's a character who is larger than life. His name is John Wayne, and I'm pretty sure that on some level he thinks he is John Wayne. And so he as a he's just a showman. He just he has to be the center of attention. He needs a lot of attention. He's blind and deaf. <laughs> Not funny, I'm sorry. But he's just a full time job. And so I've been all day and trying to prepare for that and reminding myself that okay, kindness got me this far. Can kindness just get me through this next week? And to add just another fun layer of complexity to this whole situation, my dad and I didn't talk for years and years. There's a long line of yucky family history there. And so it's been recently, in the past couple of years, that we've started talking and started building a relationship. My in-laws have never met my father. (laughs) I've been married for 15 years, and my in-laws have never met my father. So they're going to meet him tomorrow, which should be interesting, and I'm going to do this sober, which should be really interesting. I, I'm anxious to listen to more tips, honestly, at this point. Um, <laughs> I, I have my bubble, and right now I'm in my panic room. I think it was Libby, there's a woman on the feed that posted something lovely about a panic room. And that's what I'm <laughs> building right now. I'm like, okay, I can lock this door and no one can find me in the house. This is fantastic. So <laughs> it's me and the cat in the panic room. And I just, I think that surviving the holidays, it's all about the bubble and kind of having everything around you. And knowing when to, if I think I agree so much with Danielle. One of the, the, the most wonderful things that I've learned in sobriety is that I can. I don't have to do everything, and I can say enough is enough, and I can run the show, and it's okay. Nothing. I'm not going to explode. The world is not going to end. It's all going to work out. And no is indeed a complete sentence, and that doesn't just go for offers of drinks and whatnot. It's. it's I feel like I'm being too overly emotionally <laughs> dependent on or taxed. I think I need to just remember that I can say, okay. I need to go for a walk. I need to go down to the panic room, which is going to be secret, so I wouldn't say that. But I you know, I think I hope that I have enough tools in my arsenal to get through. 
Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. The idea of saying, okay, why don't I treat these other people with kindness and be of service? That's also a good trick when you go to parties. If you feel uncomfortable, look for the person who looks lonely. But maybe two two of the questions that we received in advance of of tonight's program are actually things that you touched on, and I'd love to hear everybody else's thoughts on these. One is, what do we do with family when family members are triggers, and since you talked about the perspective of the supportive family, maybe we could also touch upon what to do if you have family who is maybe not as supportive of your recovery or if they're not all in the know about what's going on. And then the other piece was how do I build my sober bubble, particularly if, like in Amy's case, it's been invaded upon by house guests, (laughs) which is common in the holidays, or if you are leaving your sober bubble in your home and you're going to be a house guest somewhere else with family or friends, and so you're not in your space, how can you still create a sober bubble? So you've touched upon those issues, but opening it up to Amanda and Danielle and, and Holly as well, if, if there's any thoughts on those topics and from you ladies. This is this is Amanda. I have I can jump in a little bit here. One thing I like that actually and and I, I love that both Danielle and Amy shared is that sobriety can also be empowering. I think that when we feel very vulnerable and weak when we get sober, it's really important to protect your sobriety and it can be empowering and the whole and Catherine you said it too, no is a complete sentence and saying no to certain things, I think you'll find people who love you will come to respect it. Some people won't like it right away. But they truly, my feeling has always been, if they truly love you, they will respect your decision. And so it can be very empowering to actually just stand up for yourself because it's probably the first time you've done it in a long time. I know for me it had been years. And then one, just one other comment on the traveling out of town. And this is actually advice that, has, that I've heard people say, regardless, if you're traveling out of town and you really feel that you have to go to the relatives, part of me says stay home. That's probably what I would have done, but I know I was just, I was pretty fierce about protecting my sobriety. And as Danielle said, I think I managed to stay away from alcohol for the whole first year at least because I just, I didn't, I just wasn't chancing anything. My sobriety was too precious to me. 
But if you do feel you need to go, one thing to do, too, would be to stay in a hotel or a motel, whatever, just so you have an escape, so you don't have to stay living 24-7 surrounded by alcohol, because that's really dangerous. That's one. It's when you're on your own home, you have your panic room. I love that. You could maybe escape, but if you're in someone else's house, that's really tricky territory. So if you do feel that you need to go, I would recommend just staying in a hotel. And so that's, I think that's a fair compromise. Of course, I would stay home. But if, like I said, if you want to go, then that's what I, that's what I would recommend doing. So how about anyone Something else? Something that I thought. This is Catherine. Something occurs to me that that I, I heard Danielle and Amy and, and you, Amanda, all sort of touch on is the idea of good communication to people. So irrespective of how open you are about being in recovery with your family, not everybody needs to know all of your business, it would seem to me, is just setting their expectations and your boundaries. I, I was speaking to a sober friend of mine yesterday, and she said, My father-in-law is back, and you know what that means. He always brings a case of wine to her house, and she doesn't keep keep alcohol in the house, and he insists on bringing it, and he insists on pouring it, and he insists on offering it to her. And she said, I've been sober for years, (laughs) and I just have to keep saying no, keep telling him to get rid of it, put it in the car. I don't want it here. It's being bold enough to stand your ground and really communicate. You can't control the other people, but you can certainly be clear about your expectations and what you need. All right, everybody, this is where we leave off for this shorter version of this conversation. But the episode does continue for another 30 minutes, and you can hear that if you join us over on Patreon, where we have the extended versions ad-free of all of our shows. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for walking this walk with us. We're glad you're here. Sober is a great way to live. And if it's something you aspire to, keep going. It's worth the effort. If you are walking this walk, please know you're not alone. We thank you for being here. Until next time, please take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness head on me. In a dark corner is where shame lies to hide. We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Oh, this head on You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear You don't need to whisper to confession them Tattoos looking at you in the mirror And the one who matters most can always hear When you say I'm old, different, not proud
Just want to be free from 